Well, James referenced it briefly earlier. I'm really excited. We are starting a new series today on the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be spending about nine weeks kind of leading up to the Advent season in uh, this epistle. And I think there's a, there's a lot of really meaty, good stuff uh, in, this, in this book. Uh, I know it was a lot of, a lot of uh, I guess, theological stalwarts, like people like Luther um, would say that this, this book has, uh, you know, some of the most meaningful and, and, and deep spiritual truths in it. You could, you could find the gospel in its content, but also its implications in this book, and so I'm, I'm excited that we're going to have a chance to study it this fall together. And, uh, you know, if you would, pray for me as, as I prepare the messages each week. I, it's a book the Lord laid on my heart. I don't have a lot of experience with it. It's not like I've taught through it multiple times, so uh, this is kind of a trial run, so you guys are somewhat guinea pigs, I guess, too, so hopefully that's uh, encouraging in some weird way. But, uh during the, the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century, there was a pastor by the name of Paul Gerhardt, and he and his family were forced to flee from their home because of the war. And one night, they were staying in a small village inn, and they were homeless, and they were afraid, and his wife broke down and began to cry in despair. And to comfort her, Paul reminded her of scripture promises and uh, about God's provision and about his keeping. And then, after he had comforted his wife, he went out into a garden alone, and he broke down himself and wept. He had felt that he had come to his darkest hour. And many of us, if not most of us, have experienced our own darkest hour. Perhaps you find yourself in one right now. I know there are a number of of you here in our congregation who have faced the dark hour of losing your own father this year. And there are others who have lost other, other family members and loved ones. Others of you, I know you're facing illnesses and, and health complications that weigh heavy on your heart. In addition to sickness and health, I know that some of you are facing unemployment or financial difficulties that, that seem just too much to, to bear. Or maybe you're facing a different, a different struggle. Maybe you're battling divorce and, and the, the ongoing pain that comes from that, or depression, or addiction, maybe infertility issues. Or maybe you're experiencing just a spiritually dry period, a dark night of the soul. No matter what you're going through or what you've been through, most of us at some time or another, we identify with what Paul Gerhardt went through. Finding ourselves in these places where we feel completely uh, overwhelmed. We feel like hope is, is so far away, out of our reach. We know the truth of Scripture We may be able to use it like he did to comfort others with it, but there are times when we find ourselves in the garden alone, broken down, weeping. And in that moment, we desperately need hope. 
And this morning, I want to I want to wrestle with a question: Why why do we have hope? Why why hope when we experience so much pain and so much difficulty in life? When when your world is broken, when everything has fallen apart, when you find yourself at the very end of the rope, why hope? If you have a Bible, turn to First Peter. We're going to be in the first chapter. We'll we'll cover the first. 12 verses of that chapter today. If you need one, there should be a blue Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. And 1 Peter is towards the end of the Bible. It's, it's a little bit before Revelation. So if you get to Hebrews, then there's James, and then 1 Peter follows, follows James. As we look at this text this morning, we're going to discover four reasons why we have hope. But before we, we read, I want to I pray over our time today. Father, we come to you this morning as we spend time in your word, uh, expecting you to show up and to speak to us, to engage us in our hearts. We desperately need that, and we know that you say that your word is living and active, so we stand on that promise today, and we ask that you would be with us here. Through your spirit, would you guide us to truth? Would you guide us away from the lies and the false things that we currently believe and, and, and attach ourselves to and free us from that and attach us to the truth, attach us to your son, Jesus. Would you be with us this morning? In Christ's name, amen. All right, 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, ver- by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Well, Peter begins, he identifies himself as the author, but he also says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he, and that means that he saw the risen Lord and that he was given authority by him. And then he addresses his letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so what he, what he, who he is writing to, he's writing to both 
Jewish and, Christian, uh, and Gentile Christians who are not living in Israel but are dispersed in these areas, which was called Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. And, and he, he listed those cities, what, what most scholars would say or, or, or argue is that those were, were cities along a mail route uh, that, that he intended this letter to travel. He would send somebody and, and they would take that letter that we're reading to those churches. And so he calls them elect exiles, and he's describing the fact that they were living outside of their homeland. They're living in a different place, but they're not just exiles, they're elect exiles. These are people that were chosen for that. He knew that, and he also uses that to describe not just their physical reality, but their spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is true of us as well, and that is we are people who are living dispersed across this earth, even though our real home is in heaven. And so Peter says that we are elect exiles, and then he describes our election in verse 2 as according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And I think it's really interesting because you see here that our election is actually tied to each member of the Trinity and each uh, period of time. He says that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, pointing to the past. We were chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit, which is talking about the present. And finally, we were chosen for obedience to God the Son, Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, which looks towards the future. And so we see that our spirituality, our reality that we find ourselves in is something that we were chosen for. And the reason why I think this, this is really helpful for us and why it was helpful for, for Peter's original hearers is that in this life we find that there's a lot of difficulty and there's a lot of pain. And it's really good for us to know that God is aware of our situation and he's done something about it and it was on his initiative that he intervened on our behalf. And so we can walk through this life knowing that everything that we experience, he knew that that was going to happen. It says that he has foreknowledge. He, knew, he knows what we're facing and he chose us. And, he is, and as we look at the rest of this passage, we'll see what he has done for us. But the first reason why hope I believe, is that because God is for us. God is for us. He's for you. He's for me. Let's look at verse 3. It says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter goes on, and he glorifies God for three things specifically. In verse verse 3, he says, God has given us a living hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so it's really helpful for us to understand the idea of hope in a biblical sense. And when, we, when we think of the word hope, a lot of times it, in, in just normal conversation, hope is nothing more than just wishful thinking. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I don't murder my kids by the end of the week, whatever that may be that you find coming out of your mouth. But that is not the same kind of hope that biblical hope is. Biblical hope is a confident expectation based on promises from a God that we know is true to his word. And so we have a living hope, and our living hope is Jesus Christ. And that is what he's talking about here when he talks about 
living hope. It's not something that's just wishful. It's not something that's just a desire. It's a reality, and we know that because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done. We know that he's defeated sin and death in his own crucifixion and resurrection, and we know that as he was raised from the dead, we will also rise with him, and that is our hope. It's much more than just some fleeting thought or, or desire. But then secondly, he gives us a, a second reason why he blesses God, why he praises him, and he says that God has given us a matchless inheritance. According to verse 4, our inheritance is three things, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that's really different than the things that we typically try to find hope in. Most of the things that you and I turn to that we put our hope in, things like relationships and careers and money and sex and accomplishment and all these temporary things are all, every single one of them, they will eventually grow old, they'll eventually wear out, they'll eventually dry up, and they will eventually die. But our inheritance in Christ will not. It remains. It will stand till the end. And that is why it is our true hope. And the third thing that that Peter praises God for. He says, God has given us assurance of our ultimate future salvation. And in verse 5, it says that God is guarding us through faith for our salvation in the last time. So you and I, we're not just saved from our sins. We're not just saved from our past. We're not just reconciled to God and that's it. We're also preserved and we're kept for the future. We don't have to fear uh, what, what mistakes or sins we may commit. We don't have to fear death. We know that we are held fast by the hand of our Father. And that brings, brings us to the second reason why we have hope. We have hope because God has secured our salvation in Christ. God has secured our salvation in Christ. So Christ is the, is the reason why we have hope. I mean, he's the, the, the absolute center point of it all. But God has done something through him. He has secured our own salvation. And if you look at verses 6 through 9, Peter moves into a part where I find it really encouraging. What he does is he acknowledges the reality that life is full of difficulty. He acknowledges that it's not just, you know, a cakewalk, it's not just a breeze. He is honest and he's real about the fact that even for believers, life is very hard oftentimes. He says, in this you rejoice, referring back to the hope that we have in Christ, that living hope, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in these these few verses, I think that he really teaches us four really, really important things about grief and about suffering and about pain. He says, first of all, that it is a part of the Christian life. He says, if necessary, if, if, if God sees fit, he says, that's just the way that it is. And then he says, secondly, that pain has an expiration date. It is for a little while. So it's not something that it is unending, it, it is temporary. And third, they are testing the genuineness of our faith, like fire purifies gold. And the last thing is that pain has a reward. It has a reward. When we endure these trials, when we endure the things that we go through in life, 
and we don't give up when we, when we hang on to our faith, when we hang on to Christ, when we meet him face to face, we will be commended by him. We will hear, hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. The words that will make it all worth it. And so I want us to really, really grasp something here, and that, that is that God is not just careless in the way that he allows trials and suffering and pain to enter into your world. He's not just up there, you know, not, not concerned about it, not thinking about it. He has a plan with it, and he is using it, I would say, like a surgeon uses a scalpel to pull out things in us that are causing us to, to really die and, and to, to be separated from him. He's using these situations in our lives to pry the things in us that are, that are, that are keeping us from his presence and from his blessing so that we can experience more of him. In verses 8 and 9, Peter writes this. He says, Though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to be abundantly clear about something. Our hope is not just an idea. It is not just a future moment. It is not just a concept. Our hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus himself. And so the thing we cling to is not the fact that pain's going to end one day. The thing that we cling to is Jesus. Because we can have him right now in the midst of our pain, and it can transform our experience of it into something that, although it's difficult and although it's hard, we see it as something that is a blessing. Our hope is more than just something that's future. It's something that we currently already have. We have Jesus if we have placed our faith in him. There's somebody that understood this uh, really, really well. There's a guy named Gerald Sitzer, and in 1993, he was driving home with his family when they were in a really, really bad car wreck. In the car with him was, with, was his mom, his wife of 20 years, and four children. And a drunk driver swerved across the center line and hit them head on. In an instant, he lost his wife, his two-year-old daughter, and his mother. And he wrote a book called A Grace Disguised, and he shares some insights from his painful journey. I think it's really, really powerful what he has to say. Listen to this. The accident itself bewilders me today as much as it did three years ago. Much good has come out of it, but all the good in the world will never make the accident itself good. It remains a horrible, tragic, and evil event to me. Yet the grief I feel is, as sweet, is sweet as well as it is bitter. I still have a sorrowful soul Yet I wake up each morning joyful, eager for what the new day will bring. Never have I felt as much pain as I have in the last three years, yet never have I experienced as much pleasure in simply being alive. Never have I felt so broken, yet never have I felt so whole. 
Never have I been so aware of my weaknesses and vulnerability, yet never have I been so content and felt so strong. Above all, I have become aware of the power of God's grace and my need for it. My soul has grown because it has been awakened to the goodness and the love of God. God has been present in my life these past three years. God will continue to be present to the end of my life and through all eternity. God is growing my soul, making it bigger, and filling it with himself. My life is being transformed. What he understood and what he experienced, I think it's really key to, to, to focus on that, what he experienced is that God is with us in our pain and he's using it to give us more of himself. He is with us in the midst of our grief and he is using it to transform us into people who he can give more of himself to. And then what I mean by that is in experience, to experience him in all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his power. And so that, that is really the, the third reason why we have hope. We have hope because God never wastes our pain. He's not careless, he's not reckless, he's not you, you know, just going about things arbitrarily. He is carefully and in a way that only he knows how to do, allowing our pain to change us so that we can experience him and know him in a deeper way. In the last few verses, in verses 10 through 12, Peter goes on to explain that the prophets foretold of a future generation that would receive salvation by grace through Christ's death and resurrection. And he identifies us, those of us who live in this, this time after Christ's resurrection, as that generation who have received that blessing. So these prophets were given some knowledge about the future, but not a whole lot of explicit knowledge about when that would happen or what it would look like. And what, what he says is he says, they were, were told about this glorious time period and we're the ones that get to live in that. And so we are the ones, as, as you know, we're the ones who received the gospel. We're the ones who are benefiting from the, tr the, the fact that through Christ's death and his resurrection, we are reconciled, we're, we're forgiven, we are accepted and saved by God. And so we are not, what the point is here, he's really getting at is, we are a privileged people. We are a privileged people. We live in a time period where we have seen the cross. We have seen the empty grave. We're not waiting for our Messiah to come. We're waiting for him to come back because he's already been here. And that's a really, really neat opportunity, you know, privilege that we have. And we're not just privileged historically, we're actually privileged cosmically as well. If you look at the very end of verse 12, he says, this is something that thing, it's, it's things into which angels long to look. Now, I was thinking about that this week, like, okay, so that's pretty cool. Angels find it pretty neat that we live in this privileged period. But I got to thinking about it. I was like, for an angel to be impressed with something, it must be pretty impressive. Think about this. Where are angels? They're in heaven. Who's in heaven? God. And he's the most beautiful, glorious being in all of existence. And if these angels long to look into what we're experiencing, it really speaks volumes of the worth of our salvation. That those in the very presence of our all-glorious God find this 
desirable, this beautiful. And something that makes me think of something, I remember one of my profs at DTS, I don't remember who, but he used to say that if you don't treasure your salvation, you probably haven't thought about it enough. And I think it's, it's really encouraging to me to think about this fact that even angels think about our salvation. That's how beautiful it is. Maybe that should encourage us to think about it, to dwell on it, to meditate on it, to have it be something that isn't just, you know, oh yeah, that's that event that happened years ago in my life, or that's that thing that, that God did for me, but it, at the very center of who we are. And so the fourth and final reason why we have hope is because God has privileged us to live in a special time. God has privileged us to live in a special time. I began the sermon this morning with the story about Paul Gerhardt, the guy who had to flee his home in the, in the war in Germany. And the story doesn't end with him weeping there in that garden alone. Gerhardt, while he was in that garden, began to sense something happening. In the midst of his tears, in the midst of his despair, he suddenly felt his burden lifted, and he sensed the Lord's presence with him. And taking his pen, he wrote the words to a hymn that has brought comfort to many over the years. Give to the winds thy fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time, so shall the night soon end in joyous day. The first song that they led us in this morning is a, is a modern arrangement, kind of a rendition of the song that this man wrote when he's running for his life, seeing his wife just broken, having to comfort her in the midst of her deepest turmoil. And in that moment, God comes and meets him and finds him there. Think about this. He's in a garden alone in despair. And the one who knows all about being in the garden alone and in despair came to him and comforted him and said, I know what you're going through and I'm here with you and I love you and I will carry you. And through that experience, he wrote these words that have been passed on and provided hope and encouragement for people throughout generations. And that is what we need whenever we are going through our own difficulties and our own trials. We need to feel the presence and we need to experience the power of our Savior with us. And he is with us. He has given us his spirit. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we have the spirit that is always with us. And when we call out to him and we, we, we cry out to him, asking him to come, and meet us and to sustain us in our darkest hours. He is faithful to do that. So I don't know where you find yourself today, but I do know this, that if you're experiencing pain or the next time that you are, God is offering to meet you in the middle of your pain and 
He will come and bring joy in spite of your darkness. He will come and bring hope in spite of the fact that you feel like you are hopeless. God longs to come and be with you in your brokenness, in your difficulty, in your pain. The opportunity we have is to find our hope, to really, really, truly experience our hope in Jesus because he has secured our salvation. And that's, that's the challenge today. Hope in Jesus because he has secured your salvation. He's the only real, true hope that there is. The question is, are you going to trust him? And not just in some mental ascent, you know, just checking a box kind of thing, not just in some, yeah, I believe that, but like when it gets down to it, in the midst of your struggle, will you trust him with your heart? Will you trust him with your pain? Will you trust him with everything that you are? Whatever your circumstance, he knows about it, and he cares about it. He genuinely cares about our pain, and he longs to be with us in it. He longs to be there for us. He longs to comfort us, to give us joy, even though we're experiencing difficulty, to give us hope, even though we're hopeless. So if you're hurting, you don't have to pretend like you have it all together. If you're mad, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're scared, you can bring that right to him and lay it at his feet. And he will pick you up and hold you and be for you what you truly need. He will be your hope. As the words of that hymn that he wrote say, so shall the night soon end in joyous day for those who hope in Jesus. And there's a, there's a secondary application, I believe, for us this morning, especially those of us who have already placed our hope in Jesus. And that is that we have been commissioned by God as it pertains to hope. So you and I are not supposed to be hope hoarders, but hope sharers. We're not supposed to be people who receive a bunch of hope and just kind of enjoy it and sit in it and just relish in it. We're called to take that and just like somebody who is starving finds something to eat and is satisfied, you go to other people who are starving and show them where to get food. I think it's somebody who, I forget who it is, but there's a quote where, where somebody said, I am just one beggar telling and showing other beggars where to find food. We have found food. We have found hope, those of us who know Jesus. And our calling is to bring that hope, to bring Christ to those who are hopeless, to bring the hope that is found in Jesus to those who need it. So who lives on your street? Who works in your office? Who do you see at the gym? Who do you interact with on a daily basis that is hopeless, who needs the hope of Jesus? If you think about that for a minute and you can't have a face, like there's no face that comes to mind, maybe that's indicative of the fact that it's time to start building some relationships with people who don't know Christ. Because if you're like me, sometimes you can just get in these little huddles with other believers and just do life, and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. 
God is calling us to be bearers of hope, to be people who take what we have in Christ and share it with the world. Bring the hope of Jesus to the hopeless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together today again. We thank you that you've given us your living word that speaks to us about the realities of life. This life is hard. It's difficult. There may be preachers on TV who try to convince us otherwise, who, who tell us lies that when we just walk with Jesus, everything will be fine and nothing will ever go wrong. But that's not our experience. People die. Relationships break. Things are hard. They're difficult. We experience all kinds of pain. But I thank you that you are with us in our pain. You are with us in our struggles. That your son came to this earth and experienced all of that and died in our, on the cross in our place so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could have hope. He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. And those of us who place our faith in him, who have done that, have hope in knowing that he is with us, he is for us by the Spirit, and we also will be raised from the dead ourselves. I pray for, for those that are here this morning, if they have never placed their trust in Christ, I pray that they would do that today. For those of us who have, who have the hope of Jesus, Lord, would you stir in us, would you build a, a just yearning and a compelling drive to share Christ with those that we live life with. Lord, would you help us not to see people as scenery, but as souls, living, breathing souls that need the gospel. Help us to not keep our hope to ourselves. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.